You are listening to Season 1 of Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who think differently and want to explore ideas and topics that are relevant to all areas of their life. Hi, and welcome to Episode 9 of our Reframe Your Life podcast. Hi, Sandy. How are you? I'm great. How about you, Joanne? Very good, Sandy, and you've got someone to introduce us to today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have our first male guest on Reframe Your Life today, and that is Jeff Hendler. And I've known Jeff, I don't know Jeff, how long have I known you? About five years, maybe? I'd say probably about five years, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just give you Jeff's official bio, and then we'll talk a little bit more about things unofficially, maybe. So Jeff is a certified professional coach, trainer, and a podcast host. He works with clients who are in the midst of preparing for big life changes. So I'm taking it has a pretty big client base. Building their personal resilience muscles to execute fearlessly in their bold lives. Jeff knows fearless intimately, blazing new trails, and the value of continuous reinvention. And reinvent he did. And this is when I first met Jeff. So in 2012, Jeff left a prosperous and comfortable Canadian life for the unknowns of Latin America. And he went to Mexico. And after a short sabbatical in Mexico, he now calls Bogota, Colombia his home. So welcome to our podcast, Jeff. And welcome to our first um, Colombian resident as well. So Tell us a little bit about your reframing your life. Like that's a huge thing that you did. It sure is. Um, Hi, Joanne and and hi, Sandy, officially. Just want to say thanks so much for having me on the show. I feel like a like a real trailblazer here. I mean, you know, first Hillary gets the nomination, and <laughs> first woman, and now I'm the first man on your show. Yeah. Although maybe they don't equate. Maybe maybe yeah. not. But <laughs> nonetheless, it's exciting. Yes, huge transformation and. I like to call it the watershed moment, and that occurred actually back in 2012, Sandy, when uh, when we met, and, and part of it was meeting you, and uh, the other part was being in my first coaching class, and that was in January of 2012, and it was the, the beginning of, or it was, it was, let's say, part of the transitions that I was making and closing of things. I had left a marriage of 17 years. I had quit my job. And at that very moment, really had nothing else to go to. But I just knew that there was something transformational that needed to happen. And here I am, we're about an hour and a half into this first day of this coaching course that I'm taking. And the two coaches at the front of the room, the leaders, they decide that they should coach me in front of the rest of the 20 or so odd people. Wow, thanks so much. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a watershed moment because the coach really got to to what was going on with me. I was on this, this treadmill of corporate life and everything else. And and caught up in, in everything. Everything was a rush, and everything was surrounding ego and fixing others and being better than others and being a world-class complainer, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And she, at one moment, just stared me down because there, there was a pace of life that I was going at that really wasn't sustainable any longer. And I don't think I knew that consciously. However, there was something that drove me to make those significant life changes before in terms of marriage and work. And she got right into my face. And I don't know if, if you recall that very famous photo when there was a U.S. Uh, sorry, a Canadian military soldier who was in a stare down with a Mohawk rebel. This was in Quebec in uh, Oka, I believe it was, many, many years ago. 
and nobody backed down. And this stare down went on forever. And for me, her stare down felt like it went on forever, but it probably lasted about four or five seconds. And she just looked at me and she said, Jeff, slow down. In that moment, she had me commit right there. An hour and a half into this, my new life, I guess, she had me commit to just clearing my calendar for the next six months. And I had mentioned that I wanted to go hiking in Iceland. And she said, you're going to do that. And you're going to email me as soon as you have bought your tickets, et cetera, et cetera, and follow up on this commitment. Well, it turned out it wasn't Iceland, but six months later, I moved to Mexico. So close enough. <laughs> wow. So, Jeff, you, you moved to Mexico on your own? I went down with a friend. I guess you could call sort of girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, we were both wrapped up in the in a couple of things. One was escape. We both really had wanted to leave Toronto for, for a number of years. This was not a Mexican woman. This was a, a Toronto-based woman. And also just for the adventure of exploring something else. So it wasn't entirely on my own, but certainly facing up to all of the, the questions from friends and those who thought you, I was crazy and et cetera, et cetera. What are you going to Mexico for? You're going to get killed. There's nothing there but dirt and beaches and, and there's really nothing, et cetera, et cetera. So facing up to all of those things was an individual process, and I think I handled it pretty well. Wow. Yeah. that's. I like how you kind of phrased that it was an escape as well as an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to give ourselves permission to, to sometimes run away. We, we have this, uh, I'll call it, the, you know, this Jewish person will call it the Protestant work ethic that he adhered to. And, you know, we have sort of in, internally, we feel this responsibility that we should be answering emails and showing up somewhere to do something of value. And, you know, that's kind of what got me into that in the first place. And so sometimes escaping and running away is actually is very healthy. Definitely. So I'm thinking about this whole idea of escape. In fact, I, I heard somebody this week, I was at an event and I was talking to someone and that comes up a lot with people who are in the corporate grind. You know, I was mentioning going to Cambodia and they were like, oh, I would love to just quit everything and go and do something more meaningful with my life. I'm so jealous of you. You probably get that a lot as well. So how, what do you say when someone says something like that to you? First thing I say is thank you, because I recognize that it was a massive life shift and it took a lot of courage to do so. So I do actually acknowledge it. And, and it's, it's nice to live in that moment because sometimes we can get a little complacent no matter what the adventure is. We get a little complacent saying, oh, yeah, so I'm here now. And then you realize, whoa, 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 wait, I'm in a different continent, different culture, language, et cetera. The next thing I say is anybody can do it. Anybody, anybody can do it, right? I mean, I used to face the same thing. When I left my, my work, I was working for a large corporate organization, and people would say, what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't know, but, you know, I'll figure it out. And they said, well, I'd love to do what you do, but, you know, mortgage, I get five weeks vacation, da 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 And I said, yes, but you can still make the change if you want. And it is your choice. For sure. So how long were you in Mexico for? I passed uh, two and a half years in Mexico. Wow. I was living in uh, the beautiful beach resort town of Puerto Vallarta on the Pacific coast. So it truly was a, a sabbatical of sorts. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of William Bridges and his work around change and, and his book called Transitions. And he talks about the end, the, the middle, and then the beginning. 
so the end of the era was leaving Toronto and leaving corporate life and, and all kinds of those things, uh, you know, long-term relationship. And then the middle was this sabbatical in a beautiful beach town. And the middle is not just a place for sort of sitting in, in worry and fret and everything else, but it's actually a time for, for recreation once you get past some of the, the issues around change, the changes that we can't control, right? Like if you lose a partner, et cetera, or you lose a job, for example. So it was a great time to just be there and to reinvent and to grow. Uh, it was just fantastic. And when you've got 300 days of sunshine a year, what better place to do it? <laughs> Good choice going for the sunshine over the um, temperatures of Iceland, I think. Although I know Iceland is beautiful. I've never been, but I know it's beautiful. But I think there's something about the sunshine that, you know, there's some, something healthy that also happens physically in those environments? Mm, I would agree completely. I think we smile a lot more for one thing. Definitely. Well, we're all smiling here because we are in summer now, so it's a good thing, <laughs> good thing we're having this interview happening now. So, Yes. So you made the change. You went to Mexico. You were there two and a half years, kind of settled, I guess, a little bit into life there, and then you made another big change. You you've moved again. So tell us a little bit about that. That move. Sure. A couple of things happened while I was down in Mexico. One was that I had completed a leadership training course that I was taking. And the second was that I had completed my coaching courses, but had yet to do from about a year or so prior, I had yet to do the certification process for the coaching. So I went ahead and got certified there. And it was just beautiful to be able to, to be working from Mexico, to be able to do this and just begin to recreate. And there was a lot of introspection during that time. There was a lot around who am I? How am I showing up? What's the impact I've been making on others? How am I showing up in relationships? And lo and behold, it is a relationship that brought me to, to Colombia. I moved here for love. I, I met my now wife um, while I was living in Mexico. And we spent about a year traveling back and forth between Colombia and Mexico, visiting each other, and then said, okay, it's time to make the move. And uh, obviously easier for me running a coaching business than for my wife, who was in banking at the time, to, to move up to a beach town. So I came down to, to Colombia. And I got to tell you when, you, when you talk about change, when you talk about transitions, I moved from a beach town, a small beach town, to a city of eight and change million living high up in the mountains. I'm about 8,500 feet high. First couple of runs on the treadmill nearly killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I was also still in a very comfortable place in, in Puerto Vallarta because it has a huge English expat community. So I, I dabbled in the Spanish world, and I also spent a lot of time in the English world. And then you come down to South America, and English is not so prominent. And so you think about all the changes that you're making. Just phenomenal the amount of change that, that I've experienced really in the last year and a half. So as you were talking about going through your transition in Mexico and doing your learning and kind of recreating yourself, I'm wondering, yeah, do you think the space that you were in, in terms of physical space uh, and mental space that you were in, uh, impacted you in any way? Oh, I think so. I think that what Mexico, and in particular Puerto Vallarta, afforded me was that 300 days of sunshine a year. Mm. And, uh, geez, I hate to complain about it, but boy, in the springtime, summer, and fall, it was beyond bearable in terms of the heat. But nonetheless, 
there was something about being right on on the bay of of the Pacific Ocean and having mountains behind you, the bay in front of you, uh, you know, the heat, the sunshine, it just created something within my body. It just, it, it really went from the ground and from walking on the beach all the way through my body, through my heart, into my mind. So much space, so much space as you as you talk about to create new things and also to be open to new things. And and you know, let's face it, we we all experience a little bit of damage, doubt, regret, etc. when we have specific life changes, like, you know, leaving a 17-year marriage mm. and saying to yourself, well, you know, do I actually have anything to offer anybody? You know, you get into that space. Am I am I ready for another relationship? And so there was a whole lot of that that growth in there and and the space there certainly created mm. created so much opportunity. Mm. That's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing it in my mind, you know. Yeah, openness, ocean, and and uh, yeah, that's kind of the the vision I have in my mind, which opens you so uh, opens you up to a lot more possibility than if you were trying to do that process in a high-rise Toronto condo. You know? <laughs> so, so I don't know. We, you know, some of our listeners, we don't all have the opportunity to to go somewhere that nice or that exotic, but. If you are looking at any transitions or life or reframing anything, think about the space that you're in, in which you're trying to to do that as well. You know, so yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I pictured in my mind in terms of Mexico. I'm seeing I'm almost the space is a metaphor for what you were experiencing, Jeff. You know, the the leaving, you know, the city and then going to a resort town. It's it's a real metaphor for what you were experiencing internally. And um, and it's interesting, you know, if you follow that along and continue the metaphor that you've moved now into another space. And so why don't you talk a little bit about that? So the new city, so Bogota, I know it's quite a different city. It's a large city. And like you said, it's it's um, not um, uh, it's a Spanish speaking city. It's not an English speaking city so what is how is that space impacting you now not just personally but your work as well yeah the the transitions were were tremendous frankly i should note also that had i not met my wife my current wife i probably would have left puerto vallarta anyhow i was getting to that point of being a little itchy for something more i think i am a city boy at the end of the day and also as a runner you know, it's a it's a limited space there. I was limited to to a track, a terrific track in the middle of the city, and also a riverbed. And and all I did though was run in circles. So it became a bit of a metaphor. And I start to think, okay, so what's the next move? And lo and behold, Lusa came into my life, and that was the next move. But yes, going from a, a town of two hundred fifty thousand to a city of eight and change million, incredibly disorganized, brutal traffic. Uh, <laughs> should I stop there? Um, <laughs> And, you know, the other thing, too, moving um, from the ocean to, as I said before, 8,500 feet above sea level into the mountains. And I, I get tremendous energy from the mountains, so that helped. However, you know, I move into to my wife's condo because, look, she's already got it. And I'm looking out not onto the ocean. I'm looking actually across to another building. And we don't get as much natural light in here as I would have in Puerto, Puerto Vallarta, for example, or even in my places back in Toronto. So there was a tremendous physical rearranging that was happening and looking to find ways in which to get myself outdoors so that I could run and, and, and reconnect with the environment, for example. Also building community, 
you go to a, a fairly, uh, you know, an English speaking town in, in Mexico and, and there's lots of people with shared common interests and it's very easy to meet. And most of them are, are retired or semi-retired and they've got lots of time on their hands to chat. And Bogota is the capital of Colombia. It is a, it's a major cosmopolitan city and it's a business city. It's a university city. It's a, it's a government city. And so working by myself, because as a coach, you, you tend to work from home and with your clients and in English, a big change for me was around getting into community, finding a community and finding a community in which I could, you know, use my Spanglish. Luckily, it's getting better and better, but, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, there were, I like to call them the, the micro transitions. And there's just so many of them. For example, my wife, she, she quit her job last summer and, and became independent, and that's terrific, except she decided she was going to work from home also. <laughs> and, well, um, that's my office. What are you doing here? <laughs> so I think in, in life as we go through major changes, I think oftentimes we're either feeling incredibly optimistic about the changes we're making or we're just actually not really paying attention to the impacts of these micro transitions. I mean, her sitting at the same table as me in our living room and working – that just wasn't a good thing in the moment. And I had to acknowledge not only the impact that that was creating on me, but I had to acknowledge all the baggage I was bringing <laughs> to find her so annoying, her presence so annoying at my, at my <laughs> office, at my table. So yes, in, incredible, incredible changes. And that doesn't even really touch upon the culture itself and, and the country and, and, and all of those things. And one of the things that I noticed was different for me was I said, okay, well, this, this is my life now. I'm, I'm here to live in Colombia with my wife. And so I got more engaged in local news and national news and so forth, which I didn't really do in Mexico because I was a bit of an interloper there. And then you kind of get down with all the news, right? And it's not like we don't get down in Canada about the news either. <laughs> and you start to say, oh, my God, what, what choice did I make here? This place is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that from people when you said you were moving to Colombia, because there's definitely a perception that people have, you know, about certain aspects of Colombia and movies that have been made. And there's a lot of fear. I remember when I went to visit Colombia, people were actually worried. Are you going to be OK? And I was like, yes, I'll be fine. You know, we just have this kind of uh, we've just heard a lot of of uh, the challenges there for sure over the years. So one of the things that I'm sure has been really helpful for you and something that we've talked a lot about is your work around resilience. So I think when you have multiple transitions in your life, when you sometimes people actually get weary, you know, they get worn down from, uh, especially if they haven't chosen some of the changes in their lives. And so I know you've done a lot of work around resilience and I really would love our listeners to hear about that. I think that would be really interesting and helpful for them. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. And, and I want to frame it a little bit in the context of Colombia, because yes, 15, 20 years ago, this was a dangerous place you wouldn't want to come to. And the country really was pretty much in, in ruin and, and being run by, by the drug cartels. And one of the things that the people did was they turned it around. The government actually said, we're going to become non-existent as a country. We're going to be a cartel country if we don't make change. So they reached out for help. And that's a huge piece in resilience in, in and of itself. And they started to, to turn things around. And now it's a safe place to visit. It's a safe place to live. Sure, it's got its problems. Everything does. But, you know, I want to I quote, uh, I've been really influenced lately by Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. 
And when we look at resilience and how do we have optimism in the face of change, in his case, tragedy, as he put it himself, but how do we continue to have optimism and move forward in the face of change? Because as you mentioned, Sandy, for most of us, the change is not in our control. I mean, when your corporation tells you you're moving from Toronto to Vancouver and pack up your bags and go, you don't get a lot of choice in that. Or when they give you a new manager who you may or may not like, or there's reorganizational, you know, restructuring, et cetera. So some of the things that, that Viktor Frankl talked about are being able to turn your suffering into human achievement and accomplishment. And I think that's a huge thing. We have to, the, the foundation of the real resilience work that I do is based on two factors. One is how do you view your world? And that's as, as big or as small as you want it to be. It could be the entire world itself or your business community or family network, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And how do you view yourself? And if you're seeing the opportunities that are there in the world, so in other words, saying yes to life in spite of everything. And if you're believing in yourself that you actually have the, the goods, the abilities, the capabilities to, to move forward, then you actually create the opportunity to change yourself for the better. And then you begin to take responsible action. Those are the words of Viktor Frankl, by the way. I don't want to uh, be stealing anybody's copyright here, but <laughs> it, it, important to note that. But really it does come down to gaining some sense of control. You're not always going to have total control, but you want to gain some sense. And in the research that we've done and the organization that I work with a lot in terms of resilience, have I, we've identified seven characteristics of highly resilient people. And the thing is, is that we all have the choice to change and we all have this resilience, but for some of us, it's like an underdeveloped muscle. So I might have a wonderful view of the world, as I'd mentioned earlier. I might have a great view of myself. And yet when it comes to taking risks and being proactive, you're not getting me off the couch. So we oftentimes, in, time, in times of significant change, we'll lead with our strongest cards. And we rely on our, those cards very heavily. And we underuse the other cards that may not feel as strong but can be helpful. So my work is really to get people to incorporate all of these resilience characteristics working together. Because as you begin to work on one, all of the others, they, they increase in tandem. And then what happens is you have less disruption during your changes. You have more clarity, more focus. You can get better organized. You begin to recognize that you can reach out to others for help and that you actually have more creative solutions than you gave yourself credit for. Wow. I've been thinking a lot recently about storytelling and leadership and doing some reading around that. And so when you talked about, you know, the first thing or at the very beginning there, you said, you know, how do you view your world and how do you view yourself? And I was just thinking about how that just ties into the stories we're telling ourselves all the time about our world and about ourselves and how, like you say, we have the power to change those stories and to, to rewrite those narratives in a sense. And, and I'm the poster child for that, truly. If you take me back five, six years or more, I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was the world-class complainer. And I was in, as, um, in the book, The Anatomy of Peace, as it's labeled, in the better than box. You know, this company, this person, this coworker, they're not doing their job, they're not smart enough, they're not good enough. And I was a massive fixer. I remember having, a, a, I used to, to manage and, and uh, coach a running club. And a couple of the people in the club had wanted to meet early mornings to do, do a little bit of extra work. And it was 
you know, five o'clock, five thirty in the morning that Yay. they wanted to get up and go. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> ah, see, different perspectives, right? <laughs> and the thing was is that I did it because and and believe me, dead tired, and I made sure I did it before work, and then I was grumpy at work. And why was I grumpy at work? Because I thought they needed me. So I was fixing, right? I was in this place of, well, they can't just go out on their own at 5.30 in the morning and do the kind of workout they want, they want to do. They're going to need me to do that. So I was that person living in the whole drama, the whole ego, the whole, like, I'm going to fix everybody and everything. And, you know, you need the watershed moments, like I talked about at the beginning, because those are the ones that are going to wake you up. And then from there, really, it is your choice is to say, okay, I'm awake now, and do I want to go and you know brush my teeth and shower and move on? Or am I just going to sort of sit here in my bathrobe? So I think that when I first met you, you'd already started on this journey. And I'm going to tell you something, because last night I was thinking about the podcast, and I was thinking about you and our relationship, our friendship, and, and what sort of drew me into keeping in touch with you, because you don't always do that with people you work with. And it's because you're such a positive person. So when you say that you were a complainer, I just want to tell you that you've done a lot of work, because in my mind, you're one of the most positive people that I know. And that's what makes me really gravitate towards you and really enjoy spending time with you. So there you go. Well done. Thank you very much. And you surround yourselves with those people because you yourself are, are exactly that way too, Sandy. And, you know, but that is the truth. And, and so it, it raises something that, you know, is not a great marketing message, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> Change is bloody hard. I mean... <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears, right? I mean, this wasn't just like, oh, I'm just going to change today, and suddenly I'm going to be less judgmental than I ever was, even though I grew up that way, yada, 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 right? So, you know, to, to your audience, if you're seeking change in life, know that it's hard. I know a terrible selling feature again, but that's the work that I do is, is you know, there is a better life out there, a happier life out there, but you got to work at it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we often talk... Uh, during our podcast about engaging uh, some of those great relationships around you to help you through that, like you said, reach out for help. And, uh, you know, we've got, I've got some amazing friends who, yeah, you're trying to work on certain things and they'll pick you up on that. Oh, because sometimes you don't know. You just get into habit, old habits, and time is a challenge. You rely on what you know and uh, you, you fall back into... Uh, some of those old habits that perhaps you're trying to change. So so I just want to ask you, I'm curious as to whether you've seen any particular differences around resilience when working with men and women. Well, this probably won't come as a surprise to your audience, is that women tend to be, on the whole, more resilient than men. And I use this, um, I, I'm referencing some research, actually, from the organization, again, that I work with, in terms of resilience, I use a resilience assessment and a profile report from this organization, which is truly terrific and shows you exactly where you are in life at this moment. And when the research has been done, and we're talking about ooh, more than 70, 80,000 people have gone through and, and taken these assessments, in all of the seven char characteristics of, of resilience, women typically score higher. And I think in many ways, 
it can come down to the fact that women will, will tend to measure their own impact on themselves and others a little more closely than men will. You know us men, we kind of just go, 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 go. And of course, we can, we can speak to the masculine energies and the feminine energies, but there, there's certainly something there in terms of, of the empathy and compassion that women hold for themselves as, as well as for others that tunes them in a little more closely and I think allows them to, to face up to the changes uh, in, in a stronger fashion. I, I'm reminded of a passage from one of Brene Brown's books, and she was speaking at, at, for, for an audience, I believe it was, it was a book signing or something to that effect, and talked about vulnerability, et cetera, and then she had a, a gentleman approach her, and he was probably in his 60s, and he said, you know, the problem is, is that you women, you want everything from us men. You want us to be the strong guy. You, you know, we have this expectation of this role in society. So I shouldn't just say you women. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this individual. And yet, when I don't feel strong and I want to be vulnerable, you tell me I'm a sissy if I, if I go that way. So I, I think for a lot of men, there is a real internal conflict around, can I be vulnerable? I've never really been taught to do that in my life, nor have I been rewarded for it. Whereas I think that it's just something that, that we reward intrinsically in women, and, and we want that in, in women as well. And, and God, they're such good leaders, really and truly. In, in Germany, they call Angela Merkel mother. And, and it's not in a patronizing fashion at all, because she is a very powerful leader. And that makes her such a, such a tremendous person for, for being the face of change and moving forward. Mm. And as you were talking there, uh, I was thinking around the collaboration piece. You know, you, you have to be open to asking for help and support. And women are generally better, in terms, in terms of leadership roles, better at being collaborative leaders, for sure. So I could totally see how that would kind of carry over into during times of change and working through resilience. Well, and, and having my Netflix subscription has taught me a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's because, talk about our Netflix subscription. Yes, <laughs> besides the addictions, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I went on this, this binge watching of uh, Lost. I had never watched it when it originally had come on. And the principal character, he's a doctor, Jack Shepard, I think is his name. And he is, he is the, the complete, like, life is an emergency and everything must be treated you know, as a rush and urgent, and only I can handle this. And I recall one in, in, in the episodes where, you know, he's needing to operate on somebody, and of course they're, they're lost on an island. And he has a, um, a woman from China who's there to assist him, who is well-versed and well-schooled in traditional Chinese medicine, etc. And all he can do is look at her with disdain, distrust, and you're not going to pull that off in my little operating tent here. You know, I'm the doctor, I'm the man, I'm going to fix it. So we can see that, you know, we, we reward men for being this way and being that rugged. In the meantime, the man has no clue as to the impact he's on others, on the energy of the space or anything else. So I think that there's something that, that we men have a lot, a lot to learn about drawing in some more of our feminine energies and, and looking at what are we doing to ourselves and what's the impact on others when we do this? Yes, and that reminds me of the unconscious bias part of our episode. And when you were talking about the Brene Brown story about the men feeling, you know, sort of damned if we do and damned if we don't with being vulnerable, 
it's good for us to be aware of our biases around that and to realize that, you know, as women, we can perpetuate the cycles and the, the, um, those stereotypes by the way we respond to men around us. And um, I think I have probably been guilty of that, you know, of, of expecting men to be always mm-hmm. strong and not be wimpy and, you know, maybe not so much now, but at times in my life for sure. There's something also I think that we need to speak to in terms of environmental factors and the societies that we've created for ourselves. So as you mentioned, the audience for this show, women over 40. So they've had to deal with a lot, especially mm-hmm. women in the workforce. No, no question about it, right? I'm, I'm stating the, the absolute obvious. And so I think that there's something there about women needing to try twice as hard, if not three times as hard, needing to dress a certain way, act a certain way, et cetera, that has created some of that resilience in women as well, because, you know, recognizing that you're not always working in the most diverse of or diverse or accepting workplaces. And, you know, recent research on transgender people has really shown this to be the case. And we see that men who have transitioned to women and have remained in the same job, or they might be in another job, but nonetheless, they notice the difference in the way men treat them in meetings or one-on-one conversations where they used to be patted on the back a lot more for being assertive and aggressive and having great ideas. Now they're being questioned and they're, they're not having the same kind of respect or confidence from their coworkers that they would have had when they were men. And transgendered people who have transitioned from female to male are experiencing exactly the opposite. So there certainly is something there that says that we know that women are just going to have to work twice as hard. There's a recent story about an Australian uh, broadcasting team for the nightly news where the male anchor wore the exact same clothing for one year. And the reason why he did that was to show that nobody paid attention to him because his co-host, his co-anchor, female, would always receive complaints telling her how ugly she looked, how fat she looked, how dumpy, how this, how that, that outfit was no good. By the way, about 20% of those emails and texts or whatever were coming from women. So he decided he was going to show where the biases really lay. So if we think about this in society, and as I say this from my my cushy lair in Bogota, Colombia, in a country that remains heavily sexist, and where you still see job advertisements as, you know, woman wanted 20 to 25, that there's still a a long way to go. and, And yes, and, you know, men need to dig into their vulnerability and, women, unfortunately, to some extent, still need to dig into other strengths to overcome what society is creating around us and has created. And that takes us back to Hillary. <laughs> exactly. Like, she doesn't um, wear a dress. She wears a pantsuit. She's in trouble. She wears an expensive coat to speak about giving money to the poor, and she's in trouble. I mean, it's like a no-win in many ways. Yes. Yeah. But she keeps moving forward, doesn't yeah. she? Exactly. Yes. Jeff, I love the stories you've shared so far, and I wonder if you'd share a little bit more. I'm thinking more around, uh, you know, in leadership circles and in leadership development and coaching, we often talk about uh, weekly, daily practices that uh, leaders do to stay in the mindset they want to stay in, stay focused, remain calm, and keep them in, in their gifts and using their gifts. So you spoke a lot about running. But I wonder if there's any any other practices that you do daily or, or weekly that, that you feel help you. 
for me, there's a daily practice each night uh, at the end of the day, while I'm in bed, I, I grab my iPhone. I used to do this on pen and paper, and I know oftentimes we're told pen and paper is more impactful, but just for convenience sake. And I write the date down, and I will write down tonight in, in, my, in my app, I will write down, June 10th was a positive day because. And I will just list all of the things that happened. And I've been doing this for probably six or seven months now. And... What it does is it takes away any kind of doubts, any kind of self-judgment. So, for example, I could write down in, in my journal, my nightly journal, studied Spanish today, but screwed up on the past you know, tense, for example. Or I could write, studied Spanish today. No qualifiers, nothing else. And even the littlest of things, went out for a nice walk today, had a great run. Um, being happy for other people. So if, if my wife had a success with some of her clients, her business clients, you know, Lusa had great success today in this meeting because she did this. And so I'm getting appreciation for myself. I'm continuing to maintain a high level of self-esteem. And I'm also just appreciating all of the things around me and the people around me. So that's one thing that I do. Another thing that I do is I make it a habit to two to three times a week at least is to reach out to people that I haven't reached out to for a while. And of course, I've moved around a lot over the last four years. And sometimes you, you can lose some of your business connections. And not just, I don't want to just label them as business connections, but people who actually influenced you in the past or you've influenced them. And just to reach out and just say hi again. And whether that's by email or we end up doing a Skype call, whatever it might be, it just, it means so much. It really nourishes me in, in, in many different ways. Mm, yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing. We have spoken a little bit about gratitude and practicing gratitude, and we've also spoken a lot in, in the last couple of episodes about happiness and what makes us happy, and I was quoting some research that it's really around our connections and relationships. You know, people who are connected and have relationships with people are generally happier. So. I can see the, you know, reaching out and, and reconnecting. And I think I uh, one more thing about the uh, the end of the day. I, I like that idea. Uh, uh, the end of the day. I've started doing it at the beginning of the day, but the end of the day kind of wraps it up, and then you're you probably go to sleep a little more calmly, a little more, <laughs> a little more relaxed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and that, those are other things. And you know, we we could go into sort of the life hack category here, but. You know, I, I really just like to go to sleep with that in mind and then maybe do a little bit of reading or listen to a podcast, for example, or listen to some nice quiet music. And it just sets me up for the next day so that I can get away from a lot of distractions. Another thing that I've been very big on for quite some time now is is just sitting in the place of knowing what my impact is. So what have I done today? Who have I spoken with? What impact did I create? What impact was I hoping to create? And, and so leaders, this is incredibly important. You know, if I had gone into a meeting, for example, and I was trying to create humor and nobody laughed, <laughs> it's not quite the impact I was generating. So, you know, what, so what, what's the impact on, on the energy of, of the people and, and in the space? What can I do to change that in that moment or beyond? Because clearly what I hoped for, I didn't arrive at. And I don't want it to say it's because, well, you know, geez, these Spanish speakers, they don't understand my English jokes. No, it's not on them. It's, it's on me as, as the leader and as a member of that extended community. So impact is, is a great thing for us as, as leaders to really think about and uh, just, just so important. 
Those are great comments. I think that, you know, you've really summed up a lot of the reframing conversation that we are having on our podcast. And I feel, I know, Joanne, you probably feel the same way. I feel like we could keep this conversation Mm -hmm. going for about another hour. And maybe we'll have to have you back on again to continue the conversation. But it's been really helpful. There's so many great things that you've shared with our audience. And we send out show notes. We send out a newsletter. And we'll make sure that we include some of the books that you referenced and links to your website. And if people want to get in touch with you or follow you or do whatever they need to do to connect with you, we'll make sure that's available. So thank you so much, Jeff. It's been really good having you on our on our podcast. I really appreciate you and your time today. Uh, Sandy and Joanne, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure and uh, great conversation. And what a way to begin my day. Thank you. Thanks, Life Reframers. Until next time, have a great day. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our podcast today? If so, we'd really appreciate a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or our Facebook page. For more information, visit our website, reframeyourlife.ca, and sign up for our newsletter.